Welcome to Oswald Didn't Do It, a JFK assassination podcast that looks at the strong likelihood that Lee Harvey Oswald did not pull the trigger, frankly, either on the president or Officer J.D. Tippett. I'm giving this a go. And hopefully there are some of you who are listening that are not into the JFK assassination research community. And I can encourage you to start doing some research on your own, looking into stuff on your own. And hopefully there are some of you who actually know what you're talking about and possibly might drop me a link as far as something that you think might be a useful podcast on its own. Today's podcast is David Bellin and Perception is Reality. I've had a number of jobs through my life, and in one of my jobs, I worked in a retirement community, and this was in the 90s, and one of the really popular corporate buzz phrases in the 90s was, perception is reality. Now, I don't know if they still run with that a whole lot. I never really liked it in the first place because to me, I'm kind of literal. Perception is perception. Reality is reality. They're different things. Um, so telling me two things that are entirely different are completely the same. I'm not necessarily going to buy it. If you receive bad service, but you think it's good service, that's different. You know, <laughs> you should be receiving good service, not bad service. If you're masking something to be something else, eh, I'm not buying. Um, what the concept of perception is reality has to do with the JFK assassination, at least for today, revolves around David Bellin. David Bellin interviewed a number of witnesses in regards to the J.D. Tippett murder. A murder that happened about eh, what, 42 to 48 minutes after the president was killed. I still, um, I still don't think we know the answer to when the deed was officially done. Hey, maybe you have some Maybe you have have a linky, linky, link, link, and you're totally convinced that 116 or 118 or 114 or 112 or somewhere in that range is the actual answer. But Bellin was interviewing two people in regards to J.D. Tippett's activities and whereabouts on the afternoon of the assassination about 40 minutes after the president was murdered. And his questioning, the responses, 
and his disregarding the responses, all kind of interesting, all kind of interesting, at least they are to me, and they kind of lead to the Oswald didn't do it, and what usually ends up happening in these sorts of cases, if the people in charge had any way they could interpret something as Oswald did it, then they took it as Oswald did it, because that was the Katzenbach memo. The Katzenbach memo was shortly after the president's assassination, I think is public by the Monday after assassination on Friday. The walking orders were on Monday. It has to be that Oswald did it, otherwise there will be big problems. So anything that had the Oswald did it or Oswald didn't do it option, Oswald did it was the preferable one and the one to go with. So now David Bellin was interviewing two people and I'm going back again to the maryferrell.org and going to again the fourth decade. This is volume one, number six, the Tippet the 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 Tippet assassination and David Bellin's hearing loss from Walt Brown Jr., who's still out and about and around and doing things, which is cool because um, I like reading this article. Um, Bellin took charge of two interviews that are in discussion in this podcast episode. The first one was of a taxi driver, William Scroggins. William Scroggins. Um, let's see how to put it. Eighth grade education. Um, did not have a high-end gig. Uh, drove a taxi. Um, and he was in the neighborhood of 10th and Patton shortly before J.D. Tippett was murdered. And we're going to pull from maryferrell.org and the fourth, uh, fourth decade. We're, and uh, starting off, um, Bellin to Scroggins. All right. Did you see the police car go right in front of yours? Did you see the police car go across right in front of you? That was the question, right in front of yours. Scroggins answered yes. He went uh, right down the street. He came from the west, going east on 10th. Bellin then asked, then, what did you see? Now, let's take a little stop. Let's take a little stop. You're going to see some things that are going to be very, very, very memorable in your life. Now, some people will have memory loss, memory alteration. 
um, confusion, paranoia, any of these things would actually make sense. You know, hey, this, this uh, Scroggins, he uh, Scroggins is out of his element. He is completely out of his element. What uh, then? What did you see? Scroggins responding after talking about having a police car basically zoom in front of him. I noticed he stopped down there and I wasn't paying too much attention to him. You see, just used to seeing them there every day. I wasn't paying too much attention to him. Saw him all the time. He was here regularly, absolutely regularly. Scroggins, Scroggins says it was completely commonplace to see this police officer here. Hmm. Okay. I, seems kind of reasonable. He do, doesn't sound uh, paranoid or anything. Sounds very matter-of-fact, sounds very believable, sounds very plausible. So, you know, you, you, would, you would figure that's probably, like, right in um, Tippett's neighborhood, right? You know, he's always there. Okay. You might think that. Um, he didn't live there. He didn't live anywhere near there, but... This taxi cab driver was under the impression that he's here all the time. Interesting, no? Um, yeah. So this taxi cab driver saw the policeman, and no, no, I didn't really think anything about it because he's here all the time. <laughs> Be like, you know, oh, I saw an ice cream truck pulling up. And some kids ran at it. Oh my goodness! They say, you know, "What? What a shot!" No, that's what happens. Tippett shows up in the neighborhood, and he parks. That's what he does. That's what he did. That's what he usually did. That was standard operating procedure for Scroggins to see, for Scroggins to see, Tippett in this neighborhood. Nowhere near where he lived in the middle of the day. This was normal. Now, let's look at the testimony of Mrs. Charlie Virginia Davis. The testimony of Charlie Virginia Davis. Um, Davis... Lived in the neighborhood. Lived in the neighborhood. Tenant. Don't think she'd been there too horribly long, but she lived there. Um. Yeah, that that was that was her neighborhood. It was her bailiwick. If you're whichever neighborhood you're in, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that car. If you pay attention to the cars that are going by, oh yeah, that's the one that's gonna uh, turn into the house that's painted yellow. That one's coming from the house that's painted red, so when it goes back, it'll turn into the house that's painted red. You know, it's a, you get to know the surroundings and who is where. Bellin, talking to Ms. Uh, Mrs. 
Charlie Virginia Davis. Bellin asks, where was the police car parked? Very reasonable question, yes? Very, very, very reasonable question. Where was the police car parked? That's a very good question. Mrs. Davis, obviously uninformed, nevertheless gave an answer that would arrest anyone's attention. It, 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 Walt Brown, Walt Brown, Walt Brown, uh, lifting from his uh, commentary. Um, where's the police car park? She answered it was parked between the hedge that marks the apartment house where he lives in and the house next door. Try that again in case you missed it the first time. This lady who lives in the neighborhood, where was the police car parked? She answered, it was parked between the hedge that marks the apartment house where he lives in and the house next door. Mrs. Davis, Mrs. Charlie Virginia Davis had assumed that J.D. Tippett lived in the neighborhood, that he lived in that one specific house. Why would Miss Charlie Virginia Davis think he lives in that particular house? Why would Mrs. Charlie Virginia Davis think that J.D. Tippett lives in that house? Why would Billy Scoggins think that it's not nothing bizarre to see J.D. Tippett in that neighborhood. Because he was there all the time. True, he was married and lived in a completely different section of town, nowhere near 10th and Patton. But people thought J.D. Tippett lived at 10th and Patton. Perception is reality. Once people start to believe, oh, that person lives there. Whether that's actually the case or not, that's their reality. It's not the truth, but it's their reality. Does the fact that, and I'm saying fact, it was brought up in testimony by two people who had no reason to lie, no reason to deceive, and didn't. They were asked, why, you know, what happened when eh, he just drove on a little bit further and he parked there? I'm used to seeing him there. I didn't pay any attention. Didn't pay him no mind. Other person, hey, he parked right by his house, even though he didn't live there. So now, into this environment, we are supposed to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald went from his rooming house, grabbed his pistol, went to the scene of the second crime, 
killed a police officer, and then finally found his way over to the movie theater where he was found and located either a couple minutes after 1 or a couple minutes after 1.30, and it all depends upon which timeline you're buying into. If someone in the neighborhood thought that J.D. Tippett lived there, if a cabbie in the neighborhood thought he stops here all the time, do you think that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, somebody who had it in for J.D. Tippett for any reason whatsoever would have probably might also have thought, you know, if I ever do want to kill J.D. Tippett, I'll just go to 10th and Patton because he's going to end up there about 115, 120 on most weekend uh, weekdays to uh, have his fling with his side piece. Oswald wasn't required to kill Tippett. Tippett was going away anyway. Tippett was going away anyway. It makes a whole lot more sense from a time frame perspective to have Oswald go from his rooming house to the movie theater to try to find whoever it was that he was trying to locate there for whatever reason it was that he was trying to find that person over there and try to get out of the situation that he was in before the police would find him. So it seems to make sense to me. Tippett was out of his where he should have been, yet people in the neighborhood knew that's where he was. If you're always where you're not supposed to be, where you're not supposed to be is where you are. Simple as that. There was a, there's a place at a former employer where you weren't supposed to go to smoke. You weren't supposed to go to smoke there. There were places you could go to smoke, but there's this one spot you weren't supposed to go to smoke. And there were some people who that is exactly where they went to smoke. So if you couldn't find him here, you couldn't find him there, you couldn't find him in the other place. Ah, well, let's go look and find them in the place that they're not supposed to be, that they're always at, right? J.D. Tippett was where he was because that's where he was on Fridays at 1.15, whether the president had just been shot or not. Lee Harvey Oswald didn't do it and once I find another fun, entertaining, enjoyable article, I bring you another one. And if you have something that you'd like me to share with my listeners, shoot me a link. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. And I hope I have been of value.